Fascism, the end of our democracy, the end of our republic as we know it. These are the reasons that the left typically gives as to why Donald Trump should not be allowed to serve as President of the United States again, and why he should not even be allowed to be on the ballot. We're going to expose the falsehoods of this and other things in the upcoming broadcast. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, depending on which device you use, and you can download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service. Simply search out the Jamie Dury Show there, and then you can subscribe that way. Or you can use your native podcast aggregator app, as I do when I listen to other podcasts, uh, either in the iTunes App Store again or in the Google Play Store. Just search out The Jamie Dury Show, and you can subscribe that way. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave comments, leave reviews. Uh, we desperately need more of both in order to grow the show. You will be informed if you subscribe when new episodes are uploaded, so you can listen to them right away at your convenience. And if you wish to contact me directly to ask me to cover a particular topic or to ask a question that you'd like an answer to when I go on the air again for our next broadcast, uh, or podcast, as I should say, um, you can do so at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. That's jamiedury, J-A-M-I-E, Dury, D-U-R-I-E, 1776 at gmail.com. So what is all this talk about fascism and Donald Trump, how it'll be a dictatorship and it'll be the end of democracy? Let me ask you something. If Donald Trump were never president and all this were going on and you wanted to convince people that he would never leave office, well, I don't think you'd have much of a case because you have no track record to prove that the man would act that way if he were elected to the presidency, correct? It'd be a very tough sell. Well, I hate to point out to my liberal friends, but it's an equally tough sell now. Donald Trump was the president of the United States, and according to you, he lost elections. He lost the election in several states, according to you. According to you, when I say you, I'm talking about your liberal contingent out there, the left, the Democratic Party. According to you, he legitimately lost, and therefore, he was replaced with Joe Biden. Now, from the time that the election was called till the time when his term expired on January 20th of 2021, and the inauguration takes place on that day, Donald Trump utilized all legal means of challenging that election in an attempt to remain in office. Legally. When those efforts failed, did Donald Trump declare martial law? Did Donald Trump declare himself a dictator and remain in the White House? Or did Donald Trump walk out like a gentleman, wave goodbye to everyone, get on Marine One, and fly off into the sunset and allowed for an orderly transference of power, as has taken place on every January 20th since I was born, every four years, and 
for many years, even before I was born. It was the latter. Donald Trump made no effort to remain in power after January 20th when the legal challenges that he mounted, rightly or wrongly, failed. So there is absolutely no evidence to indicate that if he were elected again, that he would seek to remain. He demonstrated by his actions that he respected the transference of power, and he left. No conflict, no struggle, no nothing. But what have we seen since he left? Not on the part of Trump, but on the part of those who replaced him. First, they had a second impeachment trial, which is illegal in and of itself, because impeachment is not a criminal trial, ladies and gentlemen. The President of the United States is immune from prosecution for acts he takes while in office. And let me clarify that for Judge Chutkin in D.C. Circuit. No, the president is not a dictator. But this sophistry of reason that she's exercising, trying to say, well, he's not a king, that the president only has immunity for actions he takes in office while he's in office. But once he's out of office, uh, he can be prosecuted for those actions. No, that's not true. If a man or woman in the office of the presidency could be prosecuted for actions that they took while in office, simply by waiting till they left office, then they'd have no immunity at all. Now, he doesn't have immunity for the rest of his life for anything he does after he leaves office. No one is suggesting that. But if a president is supposed to be unfettered so he can act rapidly without regard for these consequences, so that um, he can act for the, the best interests of the country, he has to have immunity for actions that he takes place while in the capacity of president. He can't be prosecuted. And that immunity follows him for the rest of his life for covering that period of time and conduct engaged in in that period of time when he was actually, or he, she was actually, president. Nobody is suggesting that they have lifetime immunity for things they do after they're president. But while they're president, and for the rest of their life, they have immunity for anything they did while they were president. And you can twist it, you can bend it, you can manipulate it any way you want. When push comes to shove, that's exactly what the Supreme Court's going to say. So we get back to the impeachment process. What is the impeachment process? The impeachment process is the process that the founding fathers set up, knowing that the president was going to be immune from simply removing him from office if he failed to discharge his office or if he committed a high crime or a misdemeanor. In other words, in lieu of sending him to prison, he would simply be removed from office. Now, I think even the not too bright among us can figure out that if there's no criminal sanction as it relates to an impeachment, since no one can be placed in jail as a consequence of being convicted in an impeachment proceeding. What is the purpose or value of having an impeachment after the person you're trying to get out of office through impeachment has already left office? There is no purpose. The sole purpose was to try and muddy Donald Trump's reputation and to try and create this appearance of impropriety to disqualify him from holding office again. That is not the function 
of an impeachment. The function of an impeachment is simply the removal of a president for commission of high crimes and misdemeanors, for violating his oath of office, nothing more, nothing less. Donald Trump was already out of office. Now, the Constitution provides that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court preside over that impeachment trial in the Senate. John Roberts dutifully presided over the first impeachment trial of President Trump because President Trump was in office at the time. He was not convicted in that trial. John Roberts refused to preside over the second impeachment trial, which occurred after Donald Trump left office, making a very clear statement that the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court recognized the proceeding as a political stunt and one that was illegal. So there, in the very first early days of the administration, began the destruction of democracy and the rule of law. As time has gone on, additional disruptions and rule of law challenges have gone on. Of late, it's become fashionable for these secretaries of state in various states around the country to attempt to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. Now, why are they doing this? Well, because Donald Trump's poll numbers continue to go up. His lead over his Republican rivals continues to widen. His lead over Joe Biden continues to widen. His popularity continues to increase because with each succeeding bogus legal action they've begun to take against him, from the case in New York with Letitia James, from the case in Georgia with Fannie Willis, from the bogus uh, cases being put against him by Jack Smith, and more on that in due course. People are beginning to realize this piling on is just that. It's piling on. And they resent it. They resent it because they're being played for fools. And the American public is smarter than that. Failing all attempts to get rid of the man, now they're trying to simply make it so you can't vote for him. Now, these Secretary of States are not empowered to do this. Now, in Colorado, they did it. The Colorado Supreme Court said you could do it. Now, the Colorado Supreme Court were not elected officials. They were purely democratically appointed officials. And they've decided that the 14th Amendment precludes Donald Trump from running. And most of these, virtually not saying most, all of these suits, all of these attempts to remove him from the ballot, all cite the same thing. There's only one problem with that. The 14th Amendment is a matter of federal law. And it's not for any state court to, to decide whether federal law has been violated. It is for the federal courts to decide whether federal law has been violated. And when one looks at Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which I covered in my previous podcast, and looks at the debate and the legislative intent surrounding it, it was not envisioned to cover stupid things like uh, someone making a speech on a day in January, on the day that the elections were supposed to be certified. Donald Trump, you can play the tapes, made no statement calling for people to riot. He told people to fight hard legally. That's allowed to be used. In fact, we've got dozens of clips of the Democrats saying far worse in the aftermath of Trump's election. Fight hard, rebel, do this, do that. 
actually calling for insurrection. Donald Trump didn't call for any of that. He told people to protest peacefully. So basically what the Colorado Supreme Court and these other actions are seeking to do is seeking to disqualify him on the basis of a crime or a violation of law that no lawfully empowered body that is lawfully entitled or empowered to make that determination has made yet. It's like saying, well, if you're convicted of murder, uh, the Colorado state election law says we can take you off the ballot. And they say, we think you committed murder, but there's been no trial for murder yet. But they read news reports, they listen to one witness who gives a favorable account, uh, and they say, yeah, well, we think you were guilty of murder, and they disqualify you. Can't happen. A number of states are doing this now. Colorado was the first one. In Michigan, not exactly a, a red state, the Secretary of State was pressured to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. She refused to do it. And she was sued. And the Michigan State Supreme Court, to its credit, ruled in her favor and said the Secretary of State uh, ruling uh, or reading of the law, in this case, is accurate. We agree with it. Donald Trump cannot be removed from the ballot. Very simple. Plain and simple. And the 14th Amendment was originally envisioned to apply to generals and officers who served in the Confederate Army. It was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War because they didn't want to have anyone who had taken up arms against the Union Army and the United States government for the Confederacy to be elected to this government. And those cases, those are people who really did engage in insurrection because they engaged in civil war. Donald Trump never engaged in civil war. And it named who could be barred did not specifically mention the president, but it specifically mentioned other offices. It does not apply to him. Maybe you could say make an effort that it applied to Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy, but not the president of the United States. So this is a, is a canard. This whole thing is a canard. In California, interestingly, one of the most liberal states in the country, which almost always goes Democratic, Mr. Castro, who apparently has been behind a lot of these lawsuits in various states, now he's withdrawn some of them. It's in the 18 hours. I apologize for that. It's just my computer telling me what time it is. Um, the Secretary of State for the state of California has opposed any movements to remove Donald Trump from the ballot. Uh, the same Mr. Castro sued the California Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, and President Trump, arguing that President Trump is ineligible to be a candidate under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. He voluntarily dismissed his case on December 7th. After the Colorado Supreme Court ruled to, dis ruled to disqualify Trump from appearing on the ballot, the California Lieutenant Governor Eleni uh, Kunalakis asked Ms. Weber to explore every legal option to do the same thing in California. However, Ms. Weber even though she's a Democrat, apparently she has a sense of duty. On December 28th, yesterday, she certified the list of candidates ahead of the March 5th, 2024 presidential primary election ballot, and it includes former President Donald Trump. These challenges are happening all over. Delaware has had challenges. Other states have had challenges. 
Georgia's got challenges. And a law professor predicts these challenges are going to mount as more and more states try and block them. The most recent one was in Maine. Uh, the Secretary of State uh, removed Donald Trump from the uh, ballot for the, for the primary in Maine, uh, and she's come up under some uh, criticism. One of the critics is Senator Angus King. He's an independent from Maine. He caucuses with the Democrats. He's come out against the state booting Donald Trump from the ballot. Quote, under the established constitutional process, the Senate was called upon to determine this precise question in Donald Trump's impeachment trial in January 2021, which is what I just said earlier. While I voted with a bipartisan majority to convict, the required two-thirds of the Senate did not do so. And it requires two-thirds of a Senate, two-thirds of the 100 senators, 67 senators, in order to get a conviction in an impeachment. Quote, although I respect the Secretary of State's careful process, which she was specifically required to undertake under Maine law, absent a final judicial determination of a violation of the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause, which is what I said at the opening of the broadcast, so it's always refreshing to see that senators are echoing your words, I believe the decision as to whether or not Mr. Trump should again be considered for the presidency should rest with the people as expressed in free and fair elections. This is the ultimate check within our constitutional system. Hear, hear, Senator King. The main Secretary of State, Shana Bellows, announced on the 28th, just yesterday, that Trump will not be on the ballot. I did not reach this conclusion lightly. Democracy is sacred. I am mindful that no Secretary of State has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. But you can't say that. There's been no finding that he engaged in insurrection. You can't arbitrarily decide that he is. So what are you saying you reach this conclusion lightly? You're making judicial determinations. You're not a lawyer. You're not a judge. You're not a jury. And you come up with this euphemism, I, I did not reach this conclusion lightly. You based it directly on the decision that came out of Colorado. Directly out of Colorado. She goes on. The evidence here demonstrates that they occurred at the behest of and with the knowledge and support of the outgoing president. No, the evidence does not suggest that. The U.S. Constitution does not tolerate an assault on the foundations of our government, and Maine law requires me to act in response. These are just people who have reached a conclusion. This is what my lawyer friends call backward reasoning. It's not taking the evidence and following it to its logical conclusion. What it is is deciding where you want to end up and then plotting a course in reverse to make sure you end up there. That's not reasoning. And good lawyers can point this out. They can, they can spot this. They can spot when a judge makes a decision and they're clearly reasoning backwards because they want to navigate their way to a predestined end as opposed to following a trail to see where it leads them. In addition to Mr. King, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, she's a Republican but a very liberal one, a GOP critic of the former president, also disapproved of the decision. Quote, Maine voters should decide who wins the election 
not a Secretary of State chosen by a legislature. The Secretary of State's decision would deny thousands of Mainers the opportunity to vote for the candidate of their choice, and it should be overturned. Representative Jared Golden, congressional representative from Maine, Democrat, also disagreed with the move, saying there should be due process. I find it very heartening when some Democrats, I don't expect them to like President Trump, I don't expect them to support President Trump for election. I understand they're party people and you support your party's candidate. I can't fault them for that. But I can fault any Democrat who does not see the forest from the trees and says that the and can't see that the end doesn't justify the means and that we no matter how much we dislike somebody, we can't simply suspend democracy, suspend the rules and twist and manipulate the laws we see fit just to keep people off the ballot that we don't like. And Jared Golden here is being true to his elected office saying there should be due process. He doesn't support the action either. Now, as more and more states do this, there's going to be uh, a, a decision that's going to have to be made by the Supreme Court. And some college professors have warned about this. A law professor warned that more and more states uh, and courts may move to block President Trump from appearing on state ballots uh, for next year's election unless the U.S. Supreme Court acts. And as more and more states make these arbitrary and capricious decisions, I think the pressure on the court to act is going to have to come in. And since the court can't make a determination, since the court can't try him, the United States Supreme Court is not a trial court. The U.S. Supreme Court can only make judgments on findings that have already been made by another court. So I think what's going to happen is the Supreme Court's going to have to say from several, they can, they can say one of several things, and they may just say, based on the statutory construction, the 14th Amendment, uh, Section 3, was never intended to apply to the presence of the United States, therefore, null and void, it's out of here. Or they could say, well, the question of whether it applies to the president is one this court has never been required to answer. However, we defer and elect not to answer until such time as a determination has been made by a federal district court somewhere in the United States that Donald Trump is guilty of leading an insurrection. And since that determination has not been made, we have to overrule and stay these decisions to keep them off the ballot. By hook or by crook, however they fashion it, however they say it, the United States Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in, and they're going to have to allow Donald Trump to be on the ballot in all 50 states. But yet all these things are happening, all being done on the auspices of Democrat governments, Maine, Colorado, all of it. And yet we're to be told that Donald Trump is the danger to democracy. Donald Trump is the problem. He's the one we have to watch out for. They're the ones we have to watch out for. And there are additional examples of the uh, weaponization of the government under Joe Biden against political opponents other than just Donald Trump. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But the GOP is not simply sitting on its hands. Some of the senators are really fighting back. Senator Tom... Tillis of North Carolina, Republican, 
uh, announced uh, just this uh, Thursday, yesterday, that he's going to introduce a measure as soon as Congress returns to session next year to restrict the federal funds that are normally given to states that block candidates' ballot access. In other words, you try and keep President Trump or anybody else off the ballot, we're going to make sure you don't get your federal money because you don't have the right to do that. The people elect the leaders and the people decide. I I remember listening uh, a few years ago when the late, great Rush Limbaugh was was still alive. This was 2016 when Donald Trump was first running for office and they were, he was playing, Rush Limbaugh was playing some cuts from this uh, delegate in the Republican National Convention. This is before the convention. A fellow by the name of Curly Hugland. In fact, hang on for a second. Let me see if I can find some quotes from Curly Hugland. Okay, I found it here. It's, this is rich. I want you to listen to this. I'm not going to put words in Curly Hugland's mouth. This is a minute, 34-second soundbite with a preamble by the anchor from the television network that's interviewing him. Uh, asking the question, this was leading up to the 2016 election, and I want you to listen to Curly Hugland's response to this news anchor, okay? I want you to listen to what he has to say to her. This is extremely, extremely interesting. Curly, let me ask you, if Donald Trump heads into the nomination, maybe he's short of the 1237 required, if you give it to someone who has a much lesser percentage of the voters who have actually turned out from these primaries, don't you worry that you are going to just send chaos and anger into the Trump supporters, into the people who feel like their votes don't matter? No, I don't think that's the case once it's, it, you know, if it would just be understood. We have a problem with the media. <laughs> Unfortunately, the cable networks are trying I, to determine I don't, think, I don't think this is a problem with the media. I've heard from a lot of voters <laughs> who say if they feel like their votes got stolen that they would be very unhappy and very angry. I I think you're looking at a different situation. I realize these have been the rules, but the last time these rules were put in place was 1976. It's been a long time since then. Yeah, they're still there. Yeah, that's a problem. The, the, uh, the media has created the perception that the voters will decide the nomination, and that's the, con- that's the conflict here. <laughs> we we the feel like we live in a democratic society. What you're telling me is it's not a democratic society, and your votes don't right. necessarily matter because it's a democratic representation, correct? No, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to say is that there's a, we're just one of the political parties. There's many political parties, but political parties choose their nominee, not the general public. Uh, contrary to popular belief. Then why bother Again, holding the primaries? That's a very good question. Look, I, look oh. Gary, I, I, <laughs> what? I, no, I don't hold have on, to hold on. you're a Republican. Okay, I, no, no, so no, no, hold on. And you can hear the laughter coming from the anchor and all the other people on the panel. Why are we holding the primaries? Now, this is interesting. What this schmuck, Curly Huglin, who's an RNC committee member, which is why I give no money to the RNC, pieces of crap that they are, he's trying to tell you that despite what you've been told, The voters don't get to select the nominees. The parties do, because you have the Democratic Party, you got the Conservative Party, you got the Liberal Party, you have the Green Party and the uh, Working Families Party. You have a plethora of parties throughout this country. And they want you to believe that regardless of what you say or what you do, we're the ones that decide who gets on the ballot. And at the end of the day, here are the choices you got. You like them? Fine. You don't? Tough. These are the choices you have. You either vote for one, vote for the other, or don't vote for any. We don't care because we've decided these are the choices you're going to get. Now, that's not democracy. 
So why do they have these primaries? I, one would assume that they have the primaries as a way to get a feel amongst the electorate to see which candidate is the most popular and which candidate has the greater chance of winning. And the people who vote in these primaries kind of feel that if uh, the candidate they pick is the one that amasses the most delegates or most votes by the time they go to the convention floor, that the nomination should be given to them, and rightfully so. Otherwise, why did we engage in all these primary elections? Why do we waste all this money, all this time? And why are we having smoke blowing up our noses, led to believe that our, our, our choice counts when it doesn't? This comes from Curly Hugland. So this is the type of nonsense that you're dealing with when you deal with these, with these political parties. And the same thing is going on with these secretaries of states and these various entities within the states that are seeking to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. They don't want the people to have the choice. So they're going to limit who you can choose. Well, if they're telling you who you can choose from, then they're choosing. It's sort of like a magician's trick. I don't know how, much, how many of you ever played with magic. When I was younger, I used to dabble in a little sleight-of-hand magic. And there are ways, I used to do tricks with cards, where you can get people to pick a certain card. It's called a magician's force. There are little things you can do to sort of manipulate people. Uh, in other words, if you got four piles, let's say, of cards, and you want a person to pick a certain one, you say, okay, pick two piles. Now, if one of those two piles contains the, the pile or the card in the pile that you want them to take, you eliminate the other two piles. If he picks the other two piles, neither one of which contains the card that you want, you simply eliminate those piles. So you manipulate the person towards the choice you want to make. That's what they're doing here. They're using a magician's force to manipulate you into voting who they want to vote, who they want you to vote for. It's not going to happen. Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot. He's going to be on the ballot in all 50 states. And there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. In fact, the uh, party faithful who thought that um, uh, Ron DeSantis was going to be the savior, people are now seeing that Ron DeSantis is in with the country club Republicans, the Bushes, and all the regular party faithful donors, and um, they're not having it. They're not having it. He's now not even talked about as the number two in this race. Now Nikki Haley is the number two. And you have Vivek Ramaswamy, who's doing himself a great deal of good by coming out in support of Donald Trump, saying he's going to demand that his name be taken off the ballot in Colorado unless Trump's is restored. He's going to do the same thing in Maine, and he's demanding his uh, Republican rivals, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis, do the same thing. So they're going to look very foolish if they don't. So this is getting very, very interesting and more interesting by the day. But Donald Trump is not the only person that the current fascist government is weaponizing uh, against. Robert Kennedy Jr., a Democrat himself, is having the government, the forces of government, weaponized against him. Now, for those of you who don't know, do a little history lesson, Robert Kennedy Jr. comes from a very, very famous political family. His uncle was President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in November of 1963. His father, the president's brother, was Senator Robert F. Kennedy from New York, who was fatally shot 
in Los Angeles after giving a primary speech back in 1968. Senator, uh, he was a former congressman as well, the son, Robert Kennedy Jr. Mr. Kennedy is running for president. He's doing very well. He's getting a pretty good percentage of the vote. Right now, he's polling at 22%. 22%. And he's polling at 40% among young voters. And in that demographic, he's doing better than both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now, as such, he is a major candidate. And major candidates are entitled to Secret Service protection during the election. And as you know, you've seen it before, even when you're running for election, uh, presidents, presidential candidates are given Secret Service protection right up until the election is called. And once the election is called, that candidate gets Secret Service protection removed from him. Unless, of course, they're the incumbent uh, and they're going to be leaving office, then they're going to get the protection until they leave office and then they get a, an ex-president's detail. But if you're not president, you're running for president, you get Secret Service protection up until the time they determine you've either been elected president or you haven't been. And if you haven't been, then they remove their protection. Now, Homeland Security has rejected his plea now for a record third time. Three times the Kennedy campaign has applied for Secret Service protection from Mr. Kennedy. And Mr. Kennedy has called this decision a political move and a weaponization of the government. Now, since he declared his candidacy in April, there have been two separate incidents in which armed men have been arrested attempting to gain access to Mr. Kennedy. Now, why do you think they were attempting to gain access to him while they were armed? Because they just wanted to show him their new gun and see what he thought of it because he's such an outdoorsman? Or do you think they were trying to off him? I think they were trying to off him. And he made a quote here, denied Secret Service again. It's not just about me. It's another example of weaponization of government against Biden's political opponents. They know that 30 cents of every campaign dollar goes to keeping me safe. Homeland Security gave me no explanation for rejecting our application. The law says all major candidates get protection. And as I just said, Mr. Bi Mr. Kennedy is polling at 22% overall, and he's, which is better than uh, a lot of people thought. It's better than Nikki Haley and all these other people. He's polling at 22% overall and 40% among young voters. And I said, in that demographic, he's doing better than both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And he says, you know, in my opinion, it may be biased, but that seems pretty major. But there's another reason, a very compelling uh, political reason in my view, that would seem to indicate to me that Mr. Kennedy should be given Secret Service protection. I just mentioned to you that Mr. Kennedy is the son of Senator Robert Kennedy. He is the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy. Both of those men were cut down in their prime by assassins' bullets. He is a relative, a very significant relative, of one of the most significant political families in the history of this country. Their other brother, uh, the younger brother of 
President Kennedy and Senator Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, went on to be an influential senator. I didn't like him, but the fact of the matter is he was an influential senator. This is a big, major um, political family. The passing of the torch from Eisenhower to Kennedy was a pivotal point in this country's history where people felt it was like the old guard handing off control to the new guard and Camelot and all that. To this day, the Kennedy name is a powerful name in Democratic circles. It seems to me that if I'm the President of the United States and I am a Democrat and my Department of Homeland Security has received an application for presidential, for Secret Service protection for a presidential candidate that is the nephew of the former president, the son of a former senator, I'm going to make sure he gets it, especially since he's hitting the numbers. Because God forbid a third armed man gets to Mr. Kennedy and seeks in shooting him or worse yet, killing him. Heads are going to roll, and many people, many people may just flat out vote against Joe Biden just based on that alone, especially your older Democrats who were big, diehard supporters of Kennedy, the president specifically. So this is something we're going to have to, uh, to watch. We're going to keep an eye on this. But uh, according to federal law, again, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary is authorized to decide who qualifies as a major candidate in consultation with the Speaker of the House, the House Minority Leader, the majority and majority leaders of the Senate, and one additional member selected by other members of the committee, which as a whole isn't answerable to the incumbent president. Now, does anybody really believe that the speakers of the House and all these people, political as they are, think that a man who's polling at 22% is not a major candidate? Quote, I have consulted with an advisory committee composed of the Speaker of the House, the House Minority Leader, the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Minority Leader, and the Sergeant-at-Arms of the Senate, based on the facts and the recommendation of the advisory committee. I have determined that Secret Service protection for Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is not warranted at this time. Signed, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, yes, I am a piece of crap, Alejandro Mayorkas. This is the guy that can't answer a bloody question before Congress and is letting the border just be wide open like a yawning fissure with people flooding across the border. And forget families coming across the border, as you've been led to believe, or even Hispanics that are coming across the border. It's not even that anymore. It's people coming from the Middle East, people coming from uh, Africa, and I'd love to know who's coming up with the cash to get them from those foreign lands across the Atlantic to South America, where they can now come up through Central America and Mexico to cross the Rio Grande. Nobody is asking that question, let alone answering it. This is a political agenda. They're trying to keep this man off the ballot. Now, speaking about the illegal immigration, I wanted to uh, touch on this. A few things have, have happened. Biden is now threatening to sue Texas. Texas is a big state, and it's got a lot of border with Mexico. 
So it receives a disproportionate amount of the people that are coming across illegally into the United States. And when they do so, there are many people, see, if you don't live down there, we, we tend to forget that there are many people who have property, whose property borders Mexico. Just like some of you live in the borders of certain states, you know, you have property. I used to hunt on a fellow's farm one time, upstate New York, back in the day when I was younger, and his property was right on the border of Vermont. And it was very important that we knew where that border was because our hunting license was only good for New York. We had to make sure that we didn't cross over into Vermont or shoot from New York at a deer that was on the Vermont side. Cause a problem. Well, these people have property. They have fences. And these people that are coming across the border have no regard for personal property, are destroying fencing, destroying a lot of things, doing a lot of damage to make their way into the United States. The people of Texas, the government of Texas, decides that they don't want it anymore. They want to stop it. So they passed a law <coughs> that allowed them, excuse me, to control and deport people if they want and get them back on the other side of the fence. The Department of Justice has now warned Texas that it would sue the state over the new border security law designed to target illegal immigrants if the law is enforced. The new Texas law is unconstitutional, conflicts with federal laws, and will disrupt the federal government's operations, according to the letter dated yesterday to Governor Greg Abbott from the Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Brian M. Boynton. The letter warned that if Texas does not conform, that the state would abandon uh, I'm sorry, if the Texas does not confirm that they would abandon the enforcement of the law by January 3rd, the United States will pursue all appropriate legal remedies to ensure that Texas does not interfere with the functions of the federal government. Well, the problem here, Mr. Boynton, is that the federal government is not functioning. There are laws on the books in federal law that have been passed, and the chief executive, the president, the man wearing diapers, who's about has all the uh, intellectual power right now at this moment of a Cabbage Patch doll, swore an oath to uphold the laws passed by the United States, and he is flagrantly violating them in an effort to flood this country with a host of illegals that they hope somehow, by some ruse or artifice, to be able to confer upon the right to vote and hope that they're going to vote for Santa Claus, the Democratic Party, it's and try and make sure that elections are no longer even worth having anymore, that they'll be little more than plebiscites. Now, that's treasonous behavior. So why should they do it? The Texas officials should go forward with the enforcement of that law, and they should disregard any sanction and disregard any attempt to intimidate by the federal government. If the federal government sends Border Patrol agents down there, Texas Rangers should be there to greet them and tell them, you're under arrest if you interfere. You're in the state of Texas now. Because we're enforcing the law, and you people are not. And this thing is getting out of hand. Most of the people who are coming across the border, ladies and gentlemen, in addition to coming from the distant lands that I mentioned a few moments ago, they're no longer family units. They're all young men of military age. Why? Why are they coming here?
Who's paying for them to come here? Quite frankly, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when I see the tyranny of numbers, it tells me that somebody is sending these people here to develop an army willing to rise up and cause terrorist acts when they're told to do so. This is going to be a complete disaster and chaos and a horror show for law enforcement to deal with these people when they finally reveal the true purpose of them being here. This is not to be taken lightly. And more buses with illegal immigrants are arriving in my hometown of New York City despite restrictions. Listen to this. More buses carrying illegal immigrants reportedly arrived in New York City overnight despite the mayor's restrictions on such transport. This is a great article dated today. Despite New York City Mayor Eric Adams' new restrictions on the transport of illegal immigrants into the city, more migrant buses arrived in the city overnight. Mr. Adams' order mandates that charter firms operating buses carrying illegal immigrants must notify the city's emergency management office at least 32 hours before arriving in New York, and such buses are only permitted to arrive on weekdays between 8.30 a.m. and noon. However, despite that order, six migrant buses arrived in the early morning hours of December 29th at the Port Authority bus terminal. There was no enforcement action on the part of Port Authority officers. According to Fox 5 in New York, the buses carrying the illegal immigrants arrived at the Port Authority terminal at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Meanwhile, they were only permitted to arrive between 8.30 a.m. and noon. Everybody knows. It's not immediately clear whether the buses in question were operated by charter bus companies or existing carriers operating with Port Authority-issued permits. Mr. Adams' order went into effect immediately upon signing back on December 27th. There's a 32-hour grace period, so the buses that arrived on Friday morning are likely to be exempt from any sanctions. Maybe they were deliberately trying to slip them in under the wire during the grace period as a real thumb in the face of the mayor's crackdown. Spokesman Lisa Zornberg, chief counsel at City Hall, has told Fox 5 New York that the Abs administration is serious about enforcing the new rules. Let's see how serious they are. I wish you all a very, very happy and healthy New Year. Enjoy the weekend with your families. Enjoy your day off from your labors on Monday. When we come back Tuesday, we're going to have to hit the ground running because we're going to have to get serious. We will fully be in 2024, and the election will scarcely be a little over 10 months away. And the future of the republic is at stake. May no, make no mistake about that. Forget that tired line that everybody gives you, this is the most important election of our lifetime. People always say that when they're running for office. But this time, I'm afraid, my friends, it's the literal truth. If we continue down the road we've been down the past three and a half years with this stupid, benighted uh, fool that's now running the government, or at least is the puppet for the people who are running the government, then in four years hence, the United States, the land that I grew up in, that I grew to love, that was the hope and light of the world, and had the admiration of most of the free world, will become a fetid, festering sewer beyond the help of any antibiotic or remedial action. It's up to us to stop it. For The Jamie Dury Show, 
I'm Jamie Dury.